Well, here's what I, I want to do this morning. I, I suppose I was going to say I hope it's okay, but I'm in this pulpit, so it is okay. Um, I just thought we've been moving through some wonderful weeks here since March 4th, and today may be the most special of them all. Uh, we've had wonderful times at some of the opening services. We had a wonderful time with uh, Dr. Moeller, wonderful time with Dr. MacArthur, but, but today we have the wonderful privilege to baptize four men, actually. Sometimes it doesn't always come out that way. There's a mix, but it's four men uh, that are going to come at the conclusion of our service. We'll try to finish a little early. You saw the baptismal tank. Uh, maybe as you came in this morning, we will have the joy and privilege to baptize those individuals. And so I thought just if my time's a little short, it's been some years since I've presented this, um, I'd like to talk to you on baptism out of the scripture. You know, it's difficult when you think of baptism, the subject of it. On the one hand, it's both overemphasized and at the same time, it is underemphasized. You know, on the one hand, it is overemphasized in this sense that some make infant baptism necessary for salvation. You know that. In other words, they baptize infants for the purpose that those babies would be forgiven. That that act of sprinkling a child brings salvation to that child. Some aspects of the Lutheran church do that. Certainly some aspects of the Church of England, they baptize babies, and certainly Roman Catholics baptize infants. Certain groups teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. And so it's overemphasized. In fact, those churches that at least some of them within that framework believe that the act of sprinkling eradicates the sin nature, or let me say it this way, eradicates original sin that tainted that baby. So far more than that just being a service that is cute or something that they do, they believe in that act of putting that water on that child, you are eradicating the sin nature, okay, or the original sin. In fact, they believe and teach that Infant baptism provides forgiveness of sin. And obviously that blunts the clear teaching of Scripture that their forgiveness comes from, apart from saving faith. And so in some cases, it's overemphasized that one is saved by baptism. But you know and I know that that is not taught in the scripture, and if I, if I sound a little edgy today, I, I don't mean to be edgy, but it's not taught in scripture. In fact, this statement, the Bible nowhere, the Bible nowhere commands infants to be baptized at any place, at any time, nor does it confer salvation 
on anyone. But then sometimes people, far from overemphasizing baptism, they oversimplify baptism. And they make little of baptism. And I, and I think it's very important. The Lord's only left us with two ordinances in the New Testament. One of them is the Lord's Supper, and the other one is the ordinance of baptism. I remember one time a well-known pastor brought me into his office some years ago, and he said, Scott, you've got to see this. And he plopped into his DVD machine or recorder a DVD He said, I want you to see this. He was very excited, and it was a spontaneous baptism. And he said, Scott, we we had a baptism planned, and then I called people forward who just wanted to be baptized, and 40 more people just got baptized into into the waters and took the plunge. And he said, Scott, it just looks like the book of Acts, doesn't it? And I was sitting there thinking, uh, yeah, but, but, but time out. You mean they just came to the service and you just preached? And at the conclusion of your preaching, you just asked people whoever wanted to get baptized could be baptized? He said, yes. And, and certainly the Lord can use that. But I thought to myself, I bet you 38 people didn't even know what they were doing. And they have no idea what it even means. And they have no idea the importance of it. And there's great confusion in our own day on this subject, but that seems to go around spontaneous baptism. And if you've been to one of those, I certainly don't want to say that the Lord can't use it, but we're not going to do one of those here because you should see the things that we work out in just the simple four-week baptism class, but there is instruction on it. But I just think that, you know, in the book of Acts, there's a big difference. In the book of Acts, when you came forward... You are declaring your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you could die for that. Here, that could just be an emotion. In fact, I would probably say, I'm sure if I wanted to today, I could motivate a number of you. But that's not the point of Scripture. So listen, when I I think of the teaching, it's both overemphasized for salvation, but it's underemphasized, and it seems to lose its importance. Then in addition to that, I heard a conversation this week with people in our church because I was praying, Lord, should I do this on baptism? And I heard this conversation take place and this conversation didn't take place in the church. It didn't take place at this building somewhere. This conversation took place at that most spiritual place called the baseball field, okay? And the conversation went like this and I'm quoting and I'm, I'm not trying to be pejorative, but can you tell me, he asked one of our leaders, Can you tell me why our church doesn't baptize babies? He said, I'm going to go this weekend to see a family member baptize their baby. And he asked, what's wrong with that? And he went on to say, I was baptized as a baby, and it was always understood that a profession of faith came later. I understand what he means. Some churches baptize infants, and they don't believe it's salvific. They just believe it's a sign of the covenant. That same person went on to say, quote, They do believe that you're added to the family of God, he said, which I could see is a little confusing. 
In fact, you, you wonder what that means to be added to the family of God as an infant apart from saving faith. Now, just as a side note here, some churches do practice infant baptism. There's churches in our area, probably of the Dutch reform perspective. They baptize infants. And I know, and probably many of you know, that they do not believe that that baptism is salvific. They don't baptize because it's bringing salvation to the child. They baptize that child because in some way, in their thinking, back to the Old Testament, they're bringing them into the covenants that places them in some way in the sphere of the family of God. And then at a later time, there needs to be a profession of faith. Listen, I have dear friends who believe that. My friend who went into glory, R.C. Sproul, believed that. But you can see there's confusion. And some of you might be a visitor today and you think, wow, this is this. But, but listen, I want you to understand what the scripture says, right? And our desire here at Grace Church of the Valley is to be accurate in the teaching of Scripture. And according to the Great Commission, we want to make sure that we obey all that Jesus commanded. And so listen, in the light of the confusion today and because of our own baptism, I want to give reason for that today. And I want to direct you to a biblical view of believers' baptism. And let me just say to you today, this is an extremely special day. Like what we're doing today and what these four individuals are doing today is what the church should be doing. Listen, I do weddings for people, but there's no command in the scripture that tells me I'm to uh, marry or officiate that. But I am uh, with the elders, according to the word of God, to manifest and fulfill these ordinances of both the Lord's table and baptism. So this is an incredibly special day. Let me, let me say this directly to you right out of the beginning, off the top. If you have been holding off on baptism because you're confused, I hope today's going to clarify any confusion and clear for you a path to obey his command to be baptized, Okay. So here's what I want to do with you. I just want to ask and then answer three questions from the word of God regarding believers' baptism, okay? Ask three and answer three questions on what believers' baptism is all about. Here's the first question. What is believers' baptism? What is it? I mean, if I just stated the obvious, okay, from a physical point of view, it is a ceremony by which a person is immersed or dunked or submerged into water. That's the physical act of baptism. It is a physical, you understand, and I'm just pointing the obvious to you, A person is immersed, a person is dunked, a person is submerged into water. It is, baptism, a commanded public ceremony for believers that symbolizes their union with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. 
I will say more about that on the third question, okay? But that's what it is. So what is water baptism? It is a public profession of faith in and submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We are dunking people. We are submerging people. We are immersing people. Now, the question within this first question, what is baptism? I could ask it as a sub-question. How do we baptize? And the answer from the scripture is we do that by immersion. Okay? You say, why do we do that by immersion? Because baptism in the New Testament, and we'll look at that in just in a moment, is the Greek word baptism. Tizo, you don't necessarily have to know that. Words mean something, though. And that word always means to plunge and to dip and to immerse into water. Okay? That's what the word means. In fact, let me take you... Don't go on the, on the PowerPoint anymore for the guys in the back because I, I switched it. I'm going to just take you through it, Okay? Look over to Mark chapter 1. You say, why do we baptize? Well, the word means immersion, and it means to be plunged into, and it means to be immersed. This is why we baptize. You look in Mark chapter 1, in verse 5, it says there, it says, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him... And this is speaking here of the baptism of John. And we're being baptized by him. Here's the key. In the Jordan River. In other words, he was baptizing at the Jordan. He was not baptizing near the Jordan. He was not baptizing beside the Jordan. He was baptizing in the Jordan. And again, baptizo means to immerse. In fact, look at chapter 1 of Mark in verse 10. Here is the baptism of Jesus, which identified him with righteousness. And you can see this in the days of Jesus in 1 9 of Mark. He came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized, it means to be immersed, by John, and here it is again, in the Jordan. And this is obvious in 1.10. When he came up, what does it say? Out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being opened and the spirit descending on him like a dove. He came up out of the water. Listen, beloved, it's unmistakably clear that baptism in the New Testament was somebody going down and somebody coming out. In fact, would you look over in John's gospel? I just, I'm just defending this biblically, not trying to make light of it, not trying to make too much of it. On the other hand, it is what it is. But in John chapter 3, here it is again. John is baptizing, and it says this in 322, And this Jesus and his disciples went into Judean countryside, and he remained there, with them and was, here's our word, baptizing. What is it? It means to immerse. It means to immerse completely. Look at 323. John was also baptizing at 
Anon, near Salim, because water was plentiful and people were coming and being baptized. I think it's rather obvious he was baptizing where there was water, and this is not just a sprinkling here. I mean, it's just that clear. In fact, look over in your Bible to Acts chapter 8. I think you're aware of this. In Acts chapter 8, it was the Ethiopian eunuch. Certainly you remember that. In 836, as they were going along the road, 836 of Acts, they came to water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Right? Immersed. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. They went down into the water. Baptism, beloved, is to immerse or submerge in water. Therefore, as we go out today in just a little bit, we immerse in our baptismal services believers who have identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, you know this, but I think it's important that I say this. Baptism, of course, does not save you, right? Nobody's going to get their sins forgiven because they're going out into the water. You say, well, Scott, why does it not save you? Because we all know that the Scripture says you're saved by grace through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, all you have to do is ask this question. Was the thief on the cross baptized? The answer would be no. He said, today you'll be in what? Paradise with me. So what is baptism then? It's a command, okay? Faith alone saves, but baptism, beloved, does not confer salvation. It does not even complete salvation Rather, water baptism announces salvation. So you got four people who are announcing what God has already done in their life. And I'll say more about this in a minute, but baptism always follows belief in the New Testament. Always. So we call it believer's baptism because Jesus taught, you know it, in Matthew 28, 19, make what? Disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. So baptism then, beloved, is a command that Jesus gave his disciples to publicly identify with him. I mean, he could have said a number of things, I suppose. He could have said, move to Israel, and, and, and that's going to be a sign. He could have said, cut your hair, and that will be a sign, but he didn't. He said, if you're saved, and you're a believer, and you've come to saving faith, then you're commanded to be baptized both in Matthew 28, 19, as well as in Acts 2, 38. So what is baptism? It is an outward act that represents an inward spiritual reality that has already taken place. But secondly, who, that was what is baptism, who is baptism for? Who is it for? Well, it's for all those who have repented from their sin 
and placed their faith in Christ alone for salvation. That's who it's for. And I suppose I'm contrasting that to infants. An infant hasn't repented of their sin. An infant hasn't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for those in the body of Christ who have come to a saving relationship with Christ and have identified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection and obey his command to be baptized. And and let me just say this to you. If you're in Christ and you've not been baptized, what are you waiting for? Because in the New Testament, a believer who came to Christ was baptized, period. This could be one of the biggest issues in the church today. We make so, such light news of it that some people are in Christ, truthfully, but they've never identified with him in this commanded ceremony. But who is it for? The, the, the simple answer is it's for believers, You say, well, Scott, can you show me that? Well, of course. Look over in Acts 2. Look at Acts 2. Shay read this, but let me touch on it again. Peter is preaching, you know that, at the day of Pentecost. And he's preaching the wonderful news of that gospel. You can read that sermon. But it says this, in response to the preaching, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, Uh, And to the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be, what? Baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And that baptism so identifies with salvation. He said there, they would receive the forgiveness of sins. It's not that you receive it by that act of baptism. It's that in that repentance and in that coming to Christ, it's a recognition that your sins are forgiven. But they believed, and, and it says they repented. And then look at the text in verse 41. It says there, and so those, and this is important, who received his word were what? Baptized. Who's baptized? The people who heard the gospel. The people who were convicted of their sin. The people who repented and believed. And then in 41, they were baptized. But this is always the case. They're the ones who received his word. Okay? It's always in response to the proclamation. Look over at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. There it says, they were preaching, were they again, the apostles, watch this, in 8.12, and when they believed Philip, what, was, what did they believe? Well, it's there, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were, what, baptized, both men and women. In other words, baptism always is the response to belief in the gospel. Who do we baptize? It's, it, it's really right there. We baptize believers who heard the good news and had the good news preached to them. Look over the next chapter of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. Certainly, you probably remember his salvation experience there. It said in 9.15 of Acts, And the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying hands on him said, Brother Paul, or Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you have also sent, has also sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch this. And immediately something like the scales from his eyes and it says it, they fell, and then he regained his sight, and he rose and was, what? Baptized. It's not hard to see that baptism always follows the preaching of the gospel, okay? He rose and was baptized. He came to saving faith. God saved him on that road. And then in obedience, he was baptized. Look over at Acts chapter 16, Okay? Acts chapter 16, there was the woman there named Lydia, and it's verse 14. And again, they were preaching again. And it says in 14, one who heard us was a woman, heard us, heard what? The apostles, what were they doing? Preaching was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now watch this. The Lord opened her heart. In other words, he redeemed her to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was, what? Baptized. She heard the message and was baptized. Now you'll note there, I'll point it out to you in 915. It says she was baptized and her, what? Household as well. I just take it that the whole family came to saving faith. Some people will utilize that as a place for infant baptism, but I don't see the word infant there. I think when Lydia was baptized and heard the message, I think their whole household heard the message. And those who could understand the gospel, who repented of their sins, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, were baptized this is the teaching of Scripture. Look over in Acts 16, 31. There again, the, the preaching is going on by Paul and Silas. They were miraculously uh, released from that jail. In 31, they said, here in the message, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, when he talks household there, I think the people who are understanding the message, and watch this, really clear in 32, They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night, washed their wounds, and he was, what? Baptized at once, he and all of his family. Not necessarily reading there about children, but you can understand that the people in that house heard that gospel preached. In fact, the conclusion is, look at verse 34 This is clear. He brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire household. This is clear. That he had believed in God. Baptism always follows. Can I show you another one? Look just over at Acts 18. Who's it for? It's for believers. Acts 18 in verse 8. Crispus 18.8. The ruler of the synagogue. Here it is believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul, what does it say? Believed. 
In other words, there is a recognition of the gospel truth, and they were, at the end of eight, what? Baptized. Let me just say, it's unthinkable in the early church to be a believer and to not be baptized. And if you're a believer and you've not been baptized, then I hold it out to you to encourage you. Okay? I met with the four people who will be baptized earlier today, this morning in my office. And, you know, some of them are scared. Like nervous. And I said, it's okay to be nervous. Thanks for giving your testimony. Thanks for giving your testimony. Thanks for having the courage to to stand up there. And if that's an issue for you, you need to really think about that. Sometimes people are afraid to give public testimony. And part of that just might be a nervous of standing before people. But I'll tell you, some people don't want to give a public testimony because they don't want to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And only the Lord would know your heart and in your motive there. But the pattern of the New Testament, beloved, is this. The gospel was preached. They believed in the gospel. And then they were baptized. And if you are a believer and you have not been baptized, you need to be. I just want you to know as your pastor, this is not optional. Okay? This is not even like a recommendation that I'm making for you. This is a command. And I, I want my own heart, I want us as a church to obey the whole counsel of God. And I wouldn't want you to be negligent in this. So what is baptism? It's immersion because of the very word. Who's it for? I took you through its believers. Third and final question is this. What is it then? What is it? You, 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 and when I say what is it, I mean what is spiritual baptism? What is it? Like I said, it's an outward symbol of an inward reality. And you say, well, Scott, what is that? What, what, what are we doing? I mean, if you're a visitor today and you've never been into a church and you walk in and you see a tank and we're dunking people, huh, I mean, it sounds kind of bizarre, to be honest with you. I was with a family from our church this last week and uh, they were at a, a kid's club here at one of our churches and uh, they were telling us and they had completely, both of them, come out of the world, out of just a pagan background and unsaved background and they, they were, were brought to this church because their kids started to go to this thing called the, I think it was called the Cool Club. And so all the kids started to go and when the kids started to go, they started to bring their parents and she goes, oh, Scott, she goes, I couldn't believe it. I was the furthest thing from that and a lady prayed with me, you know, and, and she's going into all this stuff and it was bizarre to her. And she goes, Pastor Scott, I went in there and the first thing I heard in the teaching that night at this particular club was that Jonah got swallowed by a whale. And she was like, can you believe they thought that, you know, and she's hearing that. So if, what are we doing here? What, what is this? Okay, we're dunking them. Okay, it's baptizo. It's baptism. We're immersing them. But there's a spiritual reality to it. You say, well, what is it? Well, it's a teaching aid. It's an, uh, an object lesson. When, when we partake of the communion, it doesn't become the body and the blood of Christ. You say, what is it? It's a teaching aid to allow us to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. You look back and remember his, it's a teaching aid. What, what is that ordinance? It's a place for us to remember. Listen, what do you think a child thought when they came into the temple 
at Jerusalem at Passover. And they walked into, if Josephus is right, three million people. And these kids were watching troughs run out of the temple down into the Kidron Valley. And in the troughs was blood. Mom, what does that mean? Mom, why is there blood there? Why is there blood running out? Well, son, it's to remember that you've sinned against a holy God. It's to remember that God set up a sacrificial system so that you can remember that you have sinned against a holy God and need forgiveness. Oh, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. And so when we come into the temple, we're bringing this pigeon or the, what was it? It was an aid. It was an object lesson. But that blood could never take away sins. And so they had to come back every year and they had to offer sacrifice time and time again until the Lord Jesus came. And now rather than us being part of the sacrificial system, we look back and remember what he's done. So I'm giving you an illustration here. What is baptism? What is the significance of it? What is baptism really depicting? Baptism, listen, is a physical analogy of a profound spiritual reality. Okay? And so God teaches us in symbols. He teaches us in pictures. He teaches us in parables. He gives us analogies, and this is one. Baptism, then, is an outward public act that represents that spiritual inward change. Okay? Going into the water, let me say it this way, symbolizes the death and burial. Coming out of the water symbolizes life in Christ. So whoever's a believer says, I'm going to be baptized because that's what happened to me. I died with Christ to my old life, and I'm rising to the new one to walk in the newness of life. That's what baptism is. It is a picture. It is a spiritual symbol, if you will. In fact, symbolically, to be immersed into something means to be surrounded by something, literally. It means to be identified with something. And in the word, in the Bible, the word baptism is used as an identification to be surrounded by something and to be identified with something. And so immersion then is the appropriate symbol that identifies our union with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Let me put it this way. When you got saved, you were placed into the body of Christ. If you're saved right now, you're in Christ Jesus. When he died, you died. When he was raised, you were raised. We call that union with Christ. Sometimes they call it the mystical union with Christ. And you're identifying with the person of Christ. So someone, when they come in the water, is just saying, listen, I'm publicly declaring and giving testimony of what Jesus Christ has already done in my life. He took me out of the world of darkness, out of sin, out of the domain of Satan, and I died with that life. And as I come out, I'm walking in the newness of life. In fact, look over at Colossians. Let me just show you this. Because there's a spiritual truth that it's recognizing. Look over in the book of uh, Colossians. Let me show you this. Colossians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Look at this with me. 
And here, this is not speaking of water. It's speaking of being identified with him in a spiritual baptism. It says, having been to 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Now, he's not talking water there. He's talking about spiritually. You've been buried with him in baptism in which also you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's just spiritual baptism. We're talking water baptism. Water baptism is a picture of Colossians 2.12. But let me just go a little close, more careful with you, and then we're almost done. There's two spiritual realities that water baptism represents, okay? Number one, and I've alluded to this, but let me tie this. Baptism is a symbol that you've identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Look over to Romans just for a moment, okay? It is a symbol that you have identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Look at Romans 6. And, and by the way, in Romans 6, I like to say there's no water there. This passage is not about water baptism. You say, Scott, what's it about? It's about spiritual baptism. But water baptism becomes the picture of this. Look at the wording, 6, uh, 2, or 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, it's not talking water there, spiritual baptism, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And under that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's talking about the analogy of spiritual baptism, but water baptism is a symbol of that. It is a teaching aid. It is an object lesson. When we go down into the water, it is his death and burial. When you come out, you're being raised into the newness of life. Why? Because you've identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. So that's one analogy. But the second analogy is baptism speaks of the washing of regeneration. Baptism represents by way of symbol that you've been purified, that you've been cleansed from your sin, that your sins have been forgiven, that as you come out, and and the Bible talks about the washing of regeneration. In other words, when you come to Christ, you know this, all your sins were forgiven. You were forgiven every past sin. You were forgiven every present sin. You were forgiven every future sin. And what baptism does, it's a picture, it's a portrait, it's a washing, if you will, representing that your sins have been ultimately forgiven. So whoever gets in the water today is standing up and declaring, hey, listen, I died to my old life. I want to walk in the newness of life. But I'm also declaring that my sins have been washed away and baptism symbolizes that for them. So it's a picture of being washed away and our lives being set apart from God. So let me just finish with a few questions for you, okay? Hey, Scott, isn't isn't my faith just personal? Or, Scott, isn't my faith just private? I mean, Scott, isn't it just enough 
that God knows my heart, I would just say, it is personal. (laughs) I would say it is private. I would say God does know your heart, but there's no such thing as a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. No such thing. And so if it's so personal and so private that you don't want to step up at some point into the tank, you might need to take a look in. Maybe you just need to be encouraged. The scripture that comes to my mind is this one. Everyone, and I'm in the gospel of Matthew 10, 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I think he's there talking not so much about baptism, but just the profound truth of the gospel. But I think it could imply there, do you not? Listen, if you're afraid to acknowledge him, you need to be careful. Maybe you don't want to declare your faith to somebody else. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to get in our next baptism class and be baptized just so you can say, Scott, it's not that I... I, I, I. He just said, if you, some people are just afraid of it. You say, well, Scott, what about a child? That's another question. What about a child? I'm not talking about an infant, a child. A child should be old enough to give a believable profession of faith, right? A child needs to be able to communicate the gospel and evidence spiritual fruit. So whatever that child knows, that child, that young man or young woman needs to explain and articulate the gospel, understand what the gospel is, And if you as the parent or parents see spiritual fruit, then we'll deal with that. You say, Scott, do you put an age limit on that? Uh, No, we don't. I I know of a man, Mark Dever, uh, at Capitol Hill, a good church. I think you got to be over 18. There's some wisdom in that. Some of you might go, yeah, but I was 15. And you might have been 16. You might have been walking with the Lord. But they think, hey, there's a certain age. Nowhere in the scripture did it say that. But they want to make sure that that young man or that young woman gets through high school and they're still holding on to their faith and it's their faith and not the faith of their mom and dad. I understand that. We don't put an age on it here. And so I just say if that person articulates faith and is saved by God's grace and they understand the gospel and have repented and believed, then we'll counsel you, okay? But since baptism is a picture of salvation... You would agree, no one should be baptized until he or she has made a conscious, personal confession of Jesus as Lord and Savior, okay? Now, you say, well, Scott, last question. This might be the hardest one. (laughs) What if I was baptized as an infant prior to salvation? Maybe we're out of time. Let's talk about that next week. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Listen, if you were baptized as an infant prior to salvation, I want to encourage you to be baptized as a believer. Infant baptism simply isn't biblical baptism. Those who were baptized as infants haven't actually been baptized, so they still need to be. Now listen, I, I realize there's people that love Christ and have a different mode of baptism. 
One time I had to deal with a man. I still remember this guy. just popped into my mind. He was 13 when he got baptized. It's a little different than an infant. He said, Scott, I was sprinkled at 13. That's a hard deal. Because you say, why is that hard? Because he's saying I'm a believer. And so he was baptized as a believer. He was sprinkled rather than immersed. You say, but Scott, he wasn't immersed. I know, but he, he was a believer. At some points, the conscience has to be the ruling bar there, right? I mean, I didn't want to offend his conscience if he was baptized as a believer, though the mode was different. He said, Scott, I really was given testimony of Christ, and so I let his conscience be that guide. You say, well, Scott, what, and I'm done here, what, what are the reasons why one should not be baptized? Let me give you five reasons why one is not baptized. Number one, ignorance. You just don't know, but I just taught, so now you know, so nobody could be ignorant anymore, okay? Some people just indifference. Secondly, indifference. You just don't make a big deal out of it. And I'm telling you, biblically, it is a big deal. Like, this is such a big deal that nobody should have been traveling today is how I feel. These four are giving public testimony before you. This is a significant deal today. And I don't want to overemphasize, but I don't want to, but you can't be indifferent towards this. Some people just don't care. Some people might wonder how their hair looks when they come out of the water. I mean, there's a lot of things. You could just be indifferent a lot of ways. Thirdly, why people don't get baptized, you're, you're proud. You, you just, you, I don't want to do that. Scott, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I've never been baptized, and now I'm going to look funny. No, no, you won't. I'd rather have you be obedient than proud. I think still other people, number four, maybe are defiant. You just, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And and you just are defiant. But listen, I I guess I appeal to you. Jesus commanded you to be baptized. You you say, well, uh, yeah, and listen, let, let let me take the blunt off that. Maybe I shouldn't. I got saved when I was 14. You've heard that testimony. And then it wasn't until, I think, five years later that I realized I had not been baptized as a believer. I'd walked the aisle, prayed the prayer when I was eight, didn't know the gospel, thought I did. I told you that story. The next week at the Baptist church, because it was a Baptist church, they said, Scott, you need to be baptized. I go, okay, I'm going to be baptized because whatever that guy was talking about, hell, I don't want to go there. And if this is important, I got baptized the next week in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but I wasn't saved. So then I truly got saved at 14. And then I realized, hey, I never really went forward with believer's baptism. So I thought I need to get rebaptized, but that's wrong. I was never baptized as a believer. Does that make sense? But I did have to go back in the water at 19 because I had never been baptized. And so I thought, oh, I need to do this. And so I did that at five years later. And maybe you're at the point you just have not heard teaching on this. Nobody teaches on this. I think we like to do it as a spontaneous thing, but I don't think few people are teaching on this. So that's one. You can be ignorant. You can be indifferent. You can be proud. You can be defiant. And the last one is 
you could just be unregenerate. So what do you mean unregenerate? You're just not saved. In fact, this bugs you, even the topic today, because you think, why would I go get into a tank and be immersed and come out and you don't want to do it? And it could be some that you just, you don't know the Lord. But if it's ignorance, you're ignorant no more. Amen? Listen, I, I, I hope I wasn't preaching with an edge to you. But I just want you to know the Bible matters. Amen? This book matters. And I don't want you to be negligent, not of what saves you, but of a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen?